0: For cultivating progress across the South, for working to unconditionally improve the lives of all, and for the bold underwriting of every gravy podcast, SFA thanks our visionary Louisville, Kentucky friends, Pam and Brooke Smith.
1: From the beginning, SFA has attempted to start and encourage and share conversations about equity. If you live and think and work in the South, you can't help but grapple with questions of equity.
2: Here we are in 2019, and there's still so much to talk about. Racism, gender inequality, ethnic bias, unfair labor practices. And on those subjects, Julia Turschen,
1: thinker, author, podcaster, big and warm smiler,
2: <laughs> has something to say. She's one of the clearest and strongest and fiercest and kindest voices in today's conversations about fairness and justice and the future of food.
1: Julia is a fellow traveler. She inspires us. Give her a listen. She'll inspire you. I'm Melissa Hall. And I'm John T. Edge. We're your hosts for Gravy.
3: Gravy. Gravy. Gravy.
1: A production of the Southern Foodways Alliance, Gravy tells new and complicated stories about the changing
4: American South.
2: In this episode of Gravy, Sarah Brooke Curtis talks ideals in cake with Julia Tertian.
4: Georgine lived to be 90 years old. We entered each other's lives just two years before she passed. Sharing part of her last chapter with her will stay with me for the rest of mine. My wife Grace and I met Georgine when we walked into a church that we are not members of, and we found the kitchen in the back. It was our first shift at Angel Food East. We roll up our sleeves with other volunteers and cook a meal from scratch for 60 people. Package it, clean up our mess, and make room for the next shift. This is all done before 10 a.m. in the morning.
3: Julia Tershin never really felt like she fit into anyone's space. As a kid, it was challenging.
4: Just tell me who I am and where do I fit and where do I belong because everyone just wants to belong and fit in.
3: But as an adult, she's really happy she doesn't easily fit into
4: anyone's box. I think it it means that I get to be a part of all different communities and feel comfortable in different places. One of the places
3: Julia really feels like she belongs is at Angel Food East in Kingston, New York, a volunteer kitchen housed in a church. Almost every Thursday morning for the past two years, Julia and her wife, Grace Bonnie, along with a small team of other volunteers, help prepare home-cooked meals for people who are homebound due to chronic illness, age, or disability. Though she's not typically a morning person, she looks forward to this weekly ritual of tangible service. Here, she's not gauging her impact on how many books she's sold or how many clicks her posts get online. Instead, it's just about making good food with people she respects for people who can't cook for themselves.
4: Angel Food East reminds me on a weekly basis That working locally is the most direct way to have an impact. Using food to bridge a difficult time happens in every single community, across the country, every single day through food pantries and soup kitchens and neighbors helping neighbors.
3: Julia, a celebrated cookbook author, is a Jewish woman originally from New York who's always felt a deep connection to the South.
4: Yeah, my other joke is I'm Southern by marriage since Grace is from Virginia. Yeah, I think grace gives me some, a little bit of credibility.
3: <laughs> Julia's cooking is also inspired by a Southern approach to food, especially food preservation and resourcefulness with ingredients.
4: I like using up whatever we have. makes me happy to have a She really learned to
3: cook from two cookbook authors, Edna Lewis and Lee Bailey, both Southern. Each inspired her writing and her approach to creating a lifestyle through recipe design.
4: I feel the way I think a lot of people feel when they visit different parts of the South, like deeply connected.
3: So Julia was humbled when invited to speak at a Southern Foodways Alliance symposium. She'd always been a fan, but wasn't sure how a New Yorker could find her way into such a community.
4: In sharing our differences, we're reminded that no single person speaks for an entire group. Our individual stories are important and valid and worth telling. They're worth hearing
3: nurturing and digging into a connection to an unlikely community presented her with access to new friends, new colleagues and a kind of agency she didn't have before. Julia's work reaches into many different kinds of cultural tensions. Her role is more complex than just being a cookbook author.
4: In addition to writing cookbooks I do, you know, we volunteer I run Equity at the Table, which is this like digital directory. Um, that's awesome uh, for all women and non-binary individuals in food, and we focus primarily on people of color in the queer community. Every week,
3: Julia dedicates a little time to updating new profiles and sending out emails to members. Due to the visibility that the platform provides, the website has
4: boosted many people's careers. Of the many things we learned from Georgine, A major one is that showing up consistently for your community, committing to something you can follow through on reliably, cooking for those who aren't able to for themselves, these things count for something. Finding something you like to do, saying you'll do it, and sticking with it counts for something. There's a ripple effect to this kind of work. When you show up, it means that others probably will too.
3: Julia regularly volunteers at a community kitchen, runs a website for marginalized individuals in the food industry, wrote a cookbook called Feed the Resistance, Recipes and Ideas for Getting Involved. But she doesn't see herself as an activist.
4: I think I am active. I'm an active person. I'm involved. But to me, that's a title that is attributed to people who are very much on the front lines and have really made their um, lives centered on activism. And I, I don't think... That's me, but I do I think I do a lot that's involved in ways that I think people would probably label as act activism or I haven't called an activist, but it's it's the same way I feel it when someone calls me a chef like I look over my shoulder like who are you talking to? Julia uses her public profile and her
3: relative privilege to give back and help bring those with less agency into the spotlight. She admits that it can get a little complicated.
4: Privilege is something I think about constantly, and I'm aware of how much I have, because I have a lot of it, Um, but I also feel like with it comes a lot of responsibility, and I just try to use it, and it's like, well, if I have it, like, why not do something productive with it, you know, whether it's having access to an editor to be able to do that book so quickly, whether it's, you know, using my own finances to pay to have someone build equity at the table, you know, to hire a web designer, because I don't know how to do any of that. You know, to me, those are um, like, literally great investments in my community. So uh, yeah, I'm enormously aware of my privilege. And I try to spend as much time listening as I do talking. And I don't know that I always do a great job at that. But I that's something I'm very conscious of, too. So yeah, it's, it's complicated, but I also think that's not a reason to avoid it.
3: Along with making sure her recipes are accurate so that people don't waste their money and time, Julia also feels a strong responsibility as a cookbook author to make sure that the ingredients in her recipes are
4: accessible and affordable. Cookbook readers put out a welcome mat for cookbook authors. This is incredible access. With this access, we get a chance to tell our stories, and create visibility, and understanding, and even change. Cookbooks live in intimate spaces, and get this, people cook from them. They bring them not only onto their coffee tables, but into their bodies, and into their memories.
3: Julia loves being a cookbook author in the age of social media because she gets to directly engage with her readers.
4: You get to see what people make. It's really incredible, and to have that kind of um, immediate dialogue with with your reader. Um, people send me DMs on Instagram all the time. Like, hey, I want to make this thing, but I'm I can make part of it tonight, but I'm not going to be home to eat it until like in two days. Can I free-? like? And I and I'm we talk through it, and it's like it's amazing to get to do that. I feel like I'm constantly having these conversations about recipes and how they can fit into people's lives. So I love that. And to me, that is like more worthy than any award or anything like that.
2: When Julia Tershin talks about her life in the kitchen, she often references the quiet power of cookbooks. When we come back, our reporter, Sarah Brooke Curtis, talks with Julia about that power.
0: But first. For eight generations, the Samuels family has distilled American whiskey. Today, Rob Samuels, the grandson of founder Bill Samuels Sr., oversees the operation of the Maker's Mark distillery. From the soft red winter wheat they've sourced from the same local farm for over 60 years to the char in their barrels, every step in the bourbon-making process is carefully crafted just like Bill Samuels Sr. did when he first created the handmade bourbon. For their excellent spirits and their support of this podcast, SFA thanks Maker's Mark. Maker's Mark crafts their bourbon carefully. Please enjoy it that way.
2: Hi, it's Melissa, and if you're looking for another great podcast from the South, then you have to check out No Small Endeavor, produced by our friends at Great Feeling Studios and PRX. Each episode, award-winning professor and Nashville native Lee C. Camp merges the worlds of philosophy, theology, the arts, and more to ask the question, how can we live a good life while nourishing the soul? Plus, it's the only show I know that features everyone from legendary actor and filmmaker Rob Reiner to Southern activist and author Anthony Ray Hinton. So go ahead. Follow No Small Endeavor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And tell them Gravy Said Hey.
3: As a kid, Julia voraciously read cookbooks and fantasized about cooking from them in her own apartment when she was a grown-up. Cookbook authors were like her heroes, but she had never read a cookbook by an openly gay woman with personal stories in the recipes. She wonders now what it would have been like to see that part of herself reflected at that age. It's partly because of this that she makes her life with her wife Grace present in her writing.
4: One way I do this is intentionally bringing my full self to my work as a cookbook author which includes my identity not just as a baker's daughter or a Jewish-American, but very much as a proud gay woman. This is why I do things like title my wife Grace's favorite cake recipe, Happy Wife, Happy Life Cake, instead of something like Easy Chocolate Cake. These details make a difference. I work to create visibility, which turns into connection and which turns into community.
3: The queer community is another one of those spaces that Julia feels at home in and lucky to be a part of.
4: Cookbooks might not be an obvious flag for the LGBTQ community to fly, but it's exactly that that makes them so unexpectedly powerful. Cookbooks reflect our everyday. They normalize anything that is other. Julia didn't
3: have a bad coming out experience, but she had her own process of figuring herself out and... Being able to be herself in her work and act as a kind of bridge for someone else on their path is something she's really grateful for.
4: The most gratifying part of what I do for a living has nothing to do with food. It's hearing from other women what it means to see the word wife written so often and so casually by another woman.
3: Julia has a strong connection to a couple of older women in her life. Firstly, there's her grandmother, her mother's mother, that she never met but whose life impacted her greatly.
4: When my grandmother was a young girl in Odessa, her family's bakery served also as a community oven. Neighbors would leave pots of meat in the morning to cook all day in the bakery's oven, and then pick them up later. When she was just a child, my grandmother would move some of the meat from the wealthy family's pots and sneak it into the pots that didn't have as much. I like to believe my grandmother was Robin Hood. The story about my grandmother, that I think is the most revealing, took place early in the morning one day, much later in her life. She was walking down the street in Brooklyn to go to work at the bakery. She recognized the television set that two teenagers were carrying down the block. It was hers. They had just stolen it from her apartment. She went right up to them, told them to return it, and then said she was going to take them to the bakery to feed them. I'm going to repeat that. My grandmother's answer to confronting the young boys who stole from her was to feed them.
3: Though she was named after her grandfather Julius, she likes to think she's following in her grandmother's footsteps. And then there's Georgine.
4: The best part about our work at Angel Food East was getting to be friends with Georgine. When Georgine spoke, we listened. Georgine had been volunteering at the 8 a.m. shift for about a decade before we met her. Of her many regular quips, her favorite was that it doesn't cost extra to be kind. She also liked to say that baking was her Valium, and she was justifiably famous for her coffee cake. It was even mentioned in her obituary. Coupled with her independence until the very end, Georgine's unapologetic nature was so inspiring. Every week when we picked her up for our shift, and worked with her, and dropped her back off at home, we were reminded what it looks like to be 90 years old and have a strong voice and a fearlessness about using it." Julia and Grace regularly
3: posted photos and quotes from Georgine on their social media. It felt odd at times since Georgine didn't use social media, but they knew they could use their platforms to bring Georgine's wisdom and sass to a larger audience.
4: We've heard from people who, from following along, were inspired to start volunteering in their own communities. From others who have started writing down what their grandparents say. Others who are helping their neighbors with more intention.
3: Julia has a podcast called Keep Calm and Cook On. Georgine was her first guest.
4: I can't think of anyone better to kick off Keep Calm and Cook On than my friend Georgine Drews. But a little backstory first. I knew she was on a decline when we spoke, but I had no idea it would be just a few weeks before she was gone. It felt important to record her wisdom beyond a photograph, even if only for a brief interview, to archive it and her voice, to capture her in her own words. I'm wondering you have a couple of children, you have many grandchildren, you have many great grandchildren. You also have people like Grace and I who have sort of attached ourselves. To you, and I'm wondering, do you consider yourself a matriarch? Me? <laughs> that word is too big for me. Uh, how do you describe yourself? I'm a person that will offer help if you need it,
3: Who, who's willing to show you her recipe
4: just to help you along. It, it, there's, there's no big thing about cooking. You, you live and learn. History is defined by those who get to tell it. Creating the space for these stories is work that everyone in media can do. When I asked Georgine if there was anything she wanted to share with the younger generations who will follow her, she said so simply, Be, Be nice. nice. So how do I take the lessons I learned from women like my grandmother and Georgine and apply them to my life? How do I continue their generosity of spirit and their commitment to community?
1: Oh, to get along.
4: Like the meals that we cook at Angel Food East every Thursday, carrying Georgine's torch every week. Food gives us a way into community and a way to support it. I've learned from the women in my life, like my grandmother and Georgine, and the LGBTQ community that I am so proudly a part of, that when we lower our fences, our tables get longer. We can feed each other, literally and figuratively. We can look out for each other and move a little meat from one pot to another.
2: Gravy was reported and produced by Sarah Brooke Curtis, who is scared of riding a bike but loves to dance.
1: Sarah is a radio producer and writer living in rural western Massachusetts. She often travels south to tell stories.
2: Special thanks today go to...
1: Mm. We thank Wendell Patrick for Gravy's theme music, Jazar for our donor music, Managing Editor for Gravy, and all other SFA media is Sarah Camp Milam. Mary Beth Lasta, who rocks a set of headphones serves as our publisher
2: to see julia Tursian's talk at the 2018 winter symposium visit southernfoodways.org And speaking of SFA symposiums, we host three each year and would love to have you join us at at least one. Or all three. Follow us on social media or sign up for our weekly digest to learn more and purchase tickets.
1: That weekly digest, it's called the digest.
2: (laughs) I'm Melissa Hall. And
1: I'm John T. Edge.
2: Thanks for letting us pour some gravy in your ear. Gurgle,
1: gurgle.